This is episode 87 of the EdTech Takeout from Grantwood AEA. My name's Jonathan Wiley, and here is Mindy Carney. Hello. Hello, Mindy Carney. You know, Carney. when I um, was listening to... I normally don't even hear your accent anymore, but I just started watching Outlander. You just like, started oh, it? I, well, I already read it. Oh, okay. Read mm-hmm. it. And I just started watching it, and I was like, I had to turn the captions on. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like... Holy cow, what are we saying? Like, I felt, and then I was like, oh yeah, I think when I was reading the book, I had to go back and reread stuff a lot because the, um, I don't know, there's just words in there that I don't, you know, I have to try and make sense of what that word would mean in the context. I had to turn the captions on because they were talking too fast. <laughs> yeah, the accent of those Highlanders are definitely stronger than mine. <laughs> yes, certainly. Anyway, um, here we are. Sorry, I got a little sidetracked there. I guess so. Sidetracked. Yeah. Should we start up with some news and follow up? Because there's a list here. When I opened this up, I was like, come on, Wiley, you're killing me. Hey, well, I'm going to start with something fun. (laughs) Okay. Some some follow up from our last episode. Okay. And we talked about virtual conferences and the pros and cons of virtual conferences versus face to face conferences. And one of the cons we said of a face-to-face conference was that kind of extra stress it places on your partner and your family back at home. Well, my wife listens to the podcast, and she thought that uh, we maybe undersold that a little bit and wanted us to go back over and uh, just (laughs) underline how important that part was. Uh, She reminds me of a story. uh, It's probably two or three years ago I had the chance to go to INACO which oh, was yeah. in Florida. Mm-hmm. It happened to be just on the edge of a Disney resort. Mm-hmm. And one of the emails I happened to get while I was in um, Florida at INACO mm-hmm. was from mm-hmm. a vendor. And okay. the vendor uh, said, hey, we're having this little show and tell. Uh, would you like to come? It's at mm-hmm. Epcot. Yeah. And I was like, um, sure. Why not? They had Disney yeah. catering all the food oh, and, uh, yeah. they were giving so us a free uh-huh. pass for uh-huh. the park. And oh, I thought, oh, what's to lose here? I mean, it was after the conference. It was like, I don't know, seven sure. o'clock at night or something. So a few of yeah. us went to that. And that was my mm-hmm. first time in mm-hmm. Disney. I had never been mm-hmm. to Disney before after, before that time. It was, uh-huh. You hear people talk about Disney like it's some magical place. And I'm like, Oh, come mm-hmm. on, please. But. Mm-hmm. And then you it went. It actually kind of rubbed off on me. <laughs> they had like yeah. fireworks. They had, you know, they had these no. little restaurants from like all over the serving I food know. from all over the world. So and then they had all the rides and things. It was kind of a magical place. It really is. It really is. And so I called my wife afterwards and I said, <laughs> you'll never guess where I'd just been. I told her all the amazing things I had just done. And she said, oh, you're such a jerk. <laughs> No, you know she said, you know what I've been doing tonight? She said, I've been unblocking the toilet that your kids clogged up. I have oh. a plunger in my hand. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, oh. just thinking about, you know, those partners back yeah. at home. You know, you're in Disneyland, yeah. living it up, having the time yeah. of your life, and partners are at home She's unblocking toilets. toilets. Oh. So, well, yeah, I mean. Yeah, we're sorry. Yeah, we're, we're sorry, not sorry. We're sorry. Yeah. I don't know. Like I said to Steve, um, I said, hey, uh, just yesterday, um, like, do you want to go to San Antonio for spring break? And he's like, or I said, do you want to go to San Antonio? He goes, yeah, I'm going to San Antonio in September. <laughs> and I was like, oh. Oh, without for me. work? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, work. Oh, there for you like go. a week and a resort. And that's well, the resort I wanted to go to. it goes both ways in your house. Oh, yeah. yeah. It does go both ways in our house. Yes. Yeah. It doesn't work that way in everyone's home, clearly. Mm-hmm. For no. sure. Yeah. Uh, one more piece of follow-up uh, then. I just happened okay. to see this article in Edutopia, so I'll link to it okay. for anybody that's interested. But I know we've talked in the past about whether kids should have cameras on or off during a mm. Zoom call. Sure. And uh, there's a there's a study that somebody did, uh, some Cornell professors, mm-hmm. about um, the benefits of having cameras on or off and being able to yeah. read and see students' faces. So yeah. some of their findings are in there. I thought it was kind of interesting. Um, for the most part, they're saying it would be, it's a good thing to have it on there. Mm. Um, it helps encourage students to... Um, you know, take part and to be ready and, you sure. know, to, you know, get ready for Zoom calls and things. Now, sometimes we just like fall onto Zoom calls and we don't 
know, brush your hair or, or whatever else. But oh, is that a personal reference? <laughs> no, no, not at all. I mean, it says whatever. Brush, no I brushed my hair this morning. I know it, it looks yes. looks amazing, Mindy. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, just some tips and things to help students yeah. feel more comfortable getting their cameras on if you want to to look at that and and see some of the results yeah. of that study. Uh, one more here before our big uh, swath of okay. our big swath. So, what you know, a, a swath what of word? What did, I don't. I don't. Okay. Maybe maybe in your language, I don't know. All right, before our large Google update uh, <laughs> section, um, Instructure, which is the company that makes Canvas, mm. yeah, um, have uh, made immersive reader available free to all Canvas users, and I tried it out this week. Yeah. So it's pretty good. You had to turn it on, yeah? You to have to be an admin to turn it on. You have to go into your admin settings, and it's under yeah. feature options. But once you turn it on, it appears on a page. It doesn't appear on, like, discussions or assignments, yeah. but content pages. Yeah. You'll see okay. it up in the top right-hand corner. It says Immersive Reader. And one of the nice things, at least as an instructor for me, um, and I don't know if it always did this before or not. Maybe you will know, Mindy, but... Okay. It goes through your pictures, and if you didn't put alt text for your picture, oh. it will just read out the file name of the picture. And that reminded really? me a couple of times to go back and check my alt text and make sure, sure that was all done there too. So, yeah, it mm -hmm. reads the alt text on images, nice. which is a nice touch too, I think. That is nice, yeah. Hmm. Well, all right. Mm -hmm. Now, for the big event. So, Google had a big event today. <laughs> They had lots of education right. updates that they announced. Um, some of these are free for G Suite or, what well, are we, Google Workplace now? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, so it's, some of those are free like for that. people, and some of them okay. you need the Google Enterprise Education right. Edition. So mm -hmm. we thought we'd maybe try and bring you a couple of highlights from those, and then we'll link to a blog post or video with the rest of them in it, because there was a lot today. They must have saved up a few months' work of things here they wanted to share with us. Um, so... Let's let's do a couple of these. Okay. First one, I think, was one we were just talking about before we came on air, and that yeah. was inside of Google Forms. A Google Form will shortly uh, be able to save your progress for up to 30 days. So I know we've all had times where we accidentally close a tab or... You go away and you come back and you refresh the page or something, and then everything you did in the form is gone. Well... Right. I think that's that's a really nice feature to have. Yeah, and we um, talked about how, like, even for students, this could be a really nice way for them to submit work or to run it alongside of a playlist or choice board or something so that they can continue to fill it out as they're progressing through content as opposed to having to submit it in the moment. So I really – I think this is an interesting idea and something that um, – I'd really like to dig into a little bit more, see how it, see if it really works or what it looks like when it, I mean, I'm assuming you just come back to that link and it's just going to be filled in the way you, I mean, that's my assumption. Yeah. It's I'm guessing as long as you're signed into Chrome or Chrome, maybe right? you need to be signed into the form. I, I don't know. Like uh, yeah, that is username, yeah, right. just yeah. you need some identifier to remember what it was you were doing, but yeah, I think yeah. that'll be a good one to do. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, another one they talked about is one we've also talked about, and that's revision what? history in Jamboard. I, I think it's one of those things that Google never officially talked about until today, and yeah. people found it before. I think they must have been testing it out or something, and people were like, oh, it's here, and then it was gone, and then it was there, and then it was gone, and so it is coming. It's an official feature, revision history. And the other thing I would say is before, it was like a limited revision history, so... Just curious if it's going to be the full revision history or version history, whatever they call it. Time will tell. Time will tell. Maybe next week it'll be gone again. We don't know. <laughs> you know we don't we'll know. talk about it next week. We'll give you an update next week. <laughs> we'll be like, yeah. and it's gone again. We don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's do a couple of Google Classroom updates. Okay. Um, so they've got student engagement tracking. 
which is something I've been asked about a few times from teachers yeah. because you know yeah. how like in Canvas, if you're an instructor, you can see who's logged in, who hasn't logged right. in, how long right. they've been logged in for and right. things like that. So that yeah. is coming to Google Classroom, um, the mm. ability to just keep a track of your students. Okay. Um, rich text formatting in classroom posts. You'll be able to bold, underline, italicize, and make some of Welcome your text. Welcome to the world, Google. Formatted. I know. Okay. I know. Yeah. But it was strange it wasn't there before. Well, it wasn't but, there to begin with. Huh? Yeah. yeah, I know. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> let's do some, do some Google Meet ones. Oh, sure. Yep. Because there's lots of uh, good additions coming to Google Meet. Uh, so we're going to have more administrative controls about who is joining your call. Um, and that will help you if you are connecting with like a guest speaker or other school districts and you want to have outside some control with that. Because yeah. right now it's like, yeah, outside of your domain is okay. is a difficult one to, to get done. Yep, yep. Um, we've got a button that's going to say end meeting for all. <gasps> wow. Really? Yes. So that will maybe oh, take care of that edge. little problem we had with the, the students who could join back in Coming after back 30 in. seconds or something. And Jeez. Wow. Yes. That only took three years. Okay. Uh, also for all is mute all, which is just a nice convenience type of thing to have on there mm -hmm. too. Yep. Uh, interesting, and this goes back to Classroom, actually. If you have a co-teacher in Google Classroom, they can be a co-moderator or a co-host on your Meet call. So so is that automatic? Um, I think it will be, yes. It's going to yeah. pull from your Google nice. Classroom yep. and just mm -hmm. connect and see. Good, okay. Um, multiple hosts are going to be available in non-Classroom Meet calls too, so... Uh, the co-teacher one is going to be most automatic if you start your meet from Google Classroom, but Google Classroom. there's going to be other ways to add uh, multiple hosts, which is good because um, we all need that kind of thing inside of Google Meet. Then uh, emoji reactions are also coming. So yay, okay. thumbs up and applause yay. and <laughs> crying <Okay>. emojis and <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> things like that. <laughs> Let's do one more um, on All here. Right. This is a, a Chromebook one. I think will be a good one for people. Um, this has actually been available in the beta versions of uh, Chrome and Chrome OS before, but there is going to be a built-in screen recorder coming oh, nice. to Chromebooks. So you'll be able to do built-in screen recording um, without extensions or anything else. Huh, that's nice. I'm excited about that one. That's good. That's yeah, a good one. I think it's always good to have the ability to like, I don't know, take screenshots and record your screen yeah. and record audio and, mm -hmm. you know, just some basic stuff without adding extras on there too. And if you need right. the extra functionality of other stuff, great. But otherwise, everybody should know those and be able to have access to those basic things. All right, up next, serve to you piping hot. The main course today is Mike Taylor, who is a learning design and technology consultant. And... Um, well, Jonathan Wiley is one of your biggest fans. He loves to talk <laughs> about you. And um, so he was so excited that you agreed to be on the podcast today. So thanks for being here. The question of the day is, who is Mike Taylor? Oh, gosh, we're going to start right off with the toughest question of all here, aren't <laughs> we? We're just going to put you right, right, on, right in the spotlight, Mike. I was prepared for everything but that. So let's uh, see, see, see what we can do here. Uh, so you kind of caught the, the learning consultant piece, but I grew up here in Ohio. I'm in Columbus. Mm -hmm. uh, I grew up actually in Southern Ohio. I tell everybody I had sort of uh, one foot in and one foot out of Appalachia. So it was a bit of a colorful um, place that I grew up, which, uh, which was fantastic. Um, went to school here at Miami of Ohio, got an MBA from, from Ohio University. And then about 10 years after that, I got an, an online degree in ed tech and learning design from San Diego State. So that's kind of, I've always been energized and passionate just about the process of learning. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my kids, when we travel, they always sort of make fun of me. They're like, dad, there's the historical marker. You better go read it and learn something, right? Like, um, so it's, it's, it's really, you know, I consider myself really fortunate to be able to do something that I'm that passionate about and that sort of have that type of alignment. So 
um, you know, have probably more days than most where you feel like I'm getting to do this work instead of I have to do this work. Right. And so, so to me, that that's a really uh, lucky and really, really valuable place to, to hang out. Can you talk to us a bit more about some of the, the kind of things you do then? You're, you're like a self-styled learning design consultant. What, what is learning design for people that may not be familiar with that? Well, I, I think the Cliff Notes version is just, you know, anything you do to support learning experiences. So it's, it's kind of a, a framework where we're making choices about sort of what, when, where, how to teach something or, or, you know, what that experience is like on the receiving end. So obviously in the past year, a lot of that is changing. You know, I think there's big opportunity there, uh, but, you know, making decisions around content and structure and timing and sequencing of activities. And do you, do you do assessment of any type or not? And, you know, what kind of technology can you use and integrate, you know, thoughtfully to support all of those things? So that's um, that's what learning design is to me. And what kind of people do you work with when you uh, when you're when you're doing this? Who do you who do you connect with? So for me, uh, it's it's the vast majority is kind of in a corporate environment. So you know, I've been really fortunate. Uh, I spent. 11 or 12 years working for a big power generation company. So giant, slow moving utility company. Um, I worked in the IT world there. Then I kind of half jokingly say I escaped and I went over to, to the actual power plants where they make the uh, electricity. So I did a lot of safety and health and engineering stuff. Uh, I spent a couple of years as a community manager for Articulate. So they make e-learning software. Um, so that was back before remote was a big thing. So they have fully remote company kind of before that was so popular. So, you know, I've kind of been both ends of the spectrums here as big, giant, slow moving corporate, you know, smaller, agile stuff. I spent four or five years at a, a startup. We did a lot of digital marketing things, which, you know, I, I think there's a lot of things that learning and education people should be stealing from our marketing colleagues, right? There's a lot of things. I think we've got the same oftentimes goals of getting attention and impacting behavior change. But I think a lot of times marketers do it a lot better than, than a lot of us learning people do. So, uh, so yeah, so I have been really fortunate to, to have had this sort of broad experience base and, and uh, do things kind of, kind of on, on all ends of the, of the spectrum. So um, Jonathan and I are both, we're taking a class together right now because we are the best friends that best friends could ever be. And so um, (laughs) this class that we're taking is all about um, designing an online course. And we usually, uh, the, the classes that we provide are for um, educators and we've both taken online classes and we find it. I, I'm going to speak for myself cause I'm going to put words in Wiley's mouth for once. Um, but I often find that the online learning experience is somewhat challenging for me because, um, I am usually not much of a rule follower. And I feel like with online courses, a lot of times it's like, you have to do this and these are the requirements. And, um, so I think him and I are both really kind of reflecting on our online learning experiences as we kind of work towards building better online c- classes ourselves. So what kind of advice would you offer to us or to teachers who are in this remote learning environment? You know, what have you learned from your experience that you that you find is very successful for those that are taking online courses? Yeah, you know, I think I think it's really tough and I can totally relate to that because I'm I'm, I think I'm the world's worst student. So we, we may have a little competition there because, you know, if there's, if there's something where, you know, I hate things when I'm forced, like if let's say an online course or something and I'm forced and I can't skip ahead and scan and, and scrub right. through things like absolutely like I'm done at that point. Like it just ticks me off. Right. Yeah. Like, but, but at the same time, I understand, you know, the way that you would teach experts, who need less guidance is very much different than somebody who's a novice. And so you teach those audiences very differently. Experts can be much more independent and, and 
are better able to select what they need. So there's no if this, then that sort of recipe formula for designing great learning experiences. Uh, and so, you know, when people fall into the trap of, okay, we have X platform and we're going to put everything on that platform, you know, it's, it's the same challenge with anything that's one size fits all. It usually means one size fits none is what it actually means. And so really, you know, there's some research around blended learning, right? Like what, what things should be synchronous and what things should be asynchronous. And it's finding that balance and, you know, blended learning almost always leads to better results than just everything is async or everything is synchronous and live. So that what that blending does is it lets us say, okay, well, I, I think a good rule of thumb is if I want them to interact with content, that could be asynchronous. They can do it on their own time if they need you know, more time to process, right? It doesn't have to take up everybody else's time. So interacting with content is, is a great place to, to use an asynchronous modality. And then if you want people to interact with each other, with people, if there's social aspects, if there's discussions, role plays, reserve that, that real-time stuff for the higher value, higher impact things. And, you know, don't take an eight-hour face-to-face classroom course and put it into an eight-hour Zoom course because that's going to be just atrociously bad. Amen. So look for look for those opportunities. What can we do? What can we do independently? And because it's really hard to schedule time for everybody at the same time, especially you get you know more than two or three people. Um, so reserve it. There's a place for it. Don't use the same thing for every purpose. So you made a comment, you know, just a minute ago about uh, things we can steal from marketing. And it, it took me back to um, Dan Pink's book, uh, To Sell as Human. Yeah. And, you mm-hmm. know, he basically says, you know, we're all salespeople now. We're all, we're all in sales. Like whether you're standing in front of a class of middle schoolers or whether you're standing in front of a group of adults, you know, our job is to sell something to them. We're going to sell that content to them. Do you have any other, like, tips or, or hints, hooks, things that we could uh, steal to help sell our content better? Yeah, you know, I think I think you're you're absolutely right. Like we're all salespeople. We're all marketers. I think we're also all designers. I think that's something that people don't realize. Like even the way you write an email, you know, I see some emails from that come from, you know, our kids' school and it's just this four pages of text and there's no headings and there's no, it's just, I can't process that. Like I don't have the energy you know, and, and so everybody's the designer, even from sending emails, it doesn't have to be like high end graphic design, like put in some white space and put in some headers so I can see, okay, this is this topic and that topic, right? So it's really simple, but I think we have to realize that, you know, I hear people say, well, I put this out and nobody, nobody did anything. Well, the problem might not be them. It might be you, the way you're presenting and designing your messaging. Um, you know, I, I came across the interesting quote recently. I think the other thing that kind of captured this is said, you know, be interesting first and then instruct because if we don't have people's attention and if I give them then this wall of text, I'm just going to shut down because, you know, I'm a bad student. I'm not going to, I'm not going to spend 30 minutes trying to parse out this craziness. So, you know, you've got to have a way to, you know, get their attention up front because if you don't could be the best information in the world afterward, if nobody's paying attention. It's, it's kind of irrelevant at that point. It doesn't matter. So are you like the best dad joke teller of all time then, Mike? Like, what's your hook? Like, what, what do you do to bring people in? <laughs> I do love dad jokes. So <laughs> my kids probably hate them. But, uh, you know, I think the biggest the biggest thing people can do is is just do something that's unexpected, right? Like something, it could be silly. It could be mysterious. Like, just something that because we we're just bombarded with thousands of messages a day. Right. 95% of them are all the same. Right. So if you can, you know, whether it's a, you know, a crazy spin, like I see these principals doing all these cool videos on snow day announcements and stuff like that, I'll pay attention to because it's, it's out of the ordinary. So just something that sort of makes people stop for a second to look at what you're doing. Right. And so, uh, emotion. I think visuals and emotion, I think kind of go together. Is there a way that, uh, 
one of the things I tell people a lot is, you know, let the let the visuals carry the message. So it's kind of the concept of pictures often worth a thousand words. There's some some truth to that. So, you know, if I'm trying to explain something and I can put a screenshot with an arrow, that's infinitely better than me writing, you know, eight paragraphs about what to do. So things like that are are, are simple. But I think something that's attention getting, something that's unexpected, something that taps into some emotion, curiosity or whatever, whatever that is, goes a really long way. And I think it's not hard to do. So it doesn't matter what tools you're using, but I think it's more of the mindset of having that thought process of, hey, how can I get that parent's attention who's looking at 8 billion things a day? How can I stand out in that crowd? Yeah, I like that. I really like that idea of um, that, that visual impact and having things mm-hmm. look um, appealing because I think that's something we, we have as our team. That's something that we try and try and adhere to with the messages and things that we put out there too. And I think I think there's – so there's there's – and I've talked about this in some conference sessions and stuff like that, like what things look like and what that experience is for the person who's on the receiving end. Like our brains are just wired. We're making all these subconscious decisions faster than we even realize. And so if I see this big, ugly, massive thousand words of text stuff, right? Like there's some research that, that says we don't realize it, but we're making decisions about the credibility and even sometimes the usability just based on, what things look like. Hmm. Um, so for example, you know, there are some teachers uh, in, in, in the past, our kids have used like, so there's, they use some app to communicate what's happening in class, which is great. But in order for me to read it, you know, and I've got to go somewhere else, I've got to get, you know, off my laptop to this app. Like it's just locked away. There's too much friction. And my experience is it only takes just this minimal amount of friction and people just give up. So we've got to make stuff easy to access and we can't lock it behind, you know, custom apps and all these other, you know, difficult logins and things don't make me work for it is the other piece I think. So I'm a bad student and I'm lazy. So that's, (laughs) but I think most people are too. So I don't think that's super unique. Right. So maybe thinking then, I mean, one of the things that um, teachers are doing right now is they're having to rethink a lot of what they're doing in terms of how they were teaching 12, 18 months ago, as opposed to how they're teaching right now. Has that affected your work at all? Or do you find like like the core principles are the same? Or are you are you seeing some more shifts in, in how your work goes? Yeah, yeah. So... I think primarily, even in the corporate world, the majority of of trading and and learning happens in a classroom. Uh, So maybe that's, I don't know, 60-70%, which to me still feels pretty high. Um, So I I think what has happened during this pandemic is a lot of the excuses that people used are, are now gone. Oh, you know, we can't do this online, we can't do that online. Well, now we clearly can because it's happening and it's working. Uh, so I think there's an opportunity there for us to hopefully we take advantage of it. So I think the the smart organizations will do that. And so, you know, I always hate to see when I see like a week long classroom onboarding session. I'm like, oh, my God, like that just sounds painful. Why, we don't need everybody in the classroom for, you know, 40 hours to do an onboarding. You know, you, a lot of that stuff they can do independently. If you want to bring them together for for certain things, OK maybe a half a day or maybe a day if you're going to bring them together. You know, I've, I've seen, I've seen places. Uh, this is back when I used to work for the power company. I, I took a new role in a new part of the company. My boss was super excited, right? This this new, this new learning plan, this new strategy. And it was a beautiful day, beautiful summer day. And people were driving in from an hour, two hours away. And they all came in and they, you know, they got their donuts and everybody's getting settled. And the training person walked to the front of the room, logged into the LMS and played courses for them. Oh, no. And I about fell out of my chair. Like, are you kidding? Like, this is the beautiful day they should be working, right? Let them do this on a rainy, a stormy day or something, right? I just, so there's, I think um, it sounds unbelievable, but I think there's, you know, more of that that happens than 
probably should. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I don't think anybody should work on good weather days. I feel like that is just something that should just happen universally. So yeah. if it's nice out, no one works. <laughs> I'm going to work on that. I'm going to run on that platform, become president, and be like, this is this is the way of the world now. I love let's that. See how good, let's see how that goes. Yeah. yeah. You, got, you got my vote. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> So, Mike, I know, like, your name first came up um, because Wiley loves all of your tech tool curation. So he talks about these newsletters that you send out and all of the tech tools that you share. Can you tell us a little bit about, first, like, what's your process for, like, gathering these tech tools? Uh, We have a teammate who calls herself a digital hoarder, which is Best Watch. She's been on the podcast a couple of times. And... She just like gathers stuff and then it's always kind of fun because she's like, now just give me a minute. I'm going to have to look through and see if I can find this. So I guess, first of all, like where are you finding and all of your, you know, these great tools because tech nuggets are, are sometimes challenging for me to find. So I need to all of your secrets about that. And then how are you keeping track of all of this? Like what's your system or, you know, what tool are you using to kind of help you curate all of those things? Yeah, so it's 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 kind of evolved over over the years, but the the biggest sort of keystone piece to to my personal process is is Feedly. So I don't read, you know, I was just reading an article this morning about, you know, how many how many inboxes do you have, right? Like 17 different inboxes, right? So that's overwhelming. It's tough. And so instead of going out to YouTube and going out to Twitter and going out to all these different places, is I sort of try to flip that direction so that things come to me mm-hmm. and then only the things that I want to come to me. So I want to be in control of that and not let somebody else yeah, sort yeah. of decide. So even, even like email newsletters, I'll look for, you know, is there an RSS feed for the newsletter so that I can put it all in that single place and keep it out of my email. So I, I hate email for sort of keeping up with things. Cause it, you know, it's just mixed in with all the other stuff. So I use Feedly to, to pipe in, you know, on my terms, things from all these places. So if it's a, somebody who's got a really good YouTube channel or, you know, this great ed tech podcast, like you guys have, right? Like that stuff will all come in through Feedly and then I can organize that. And typically, you know, every morning I'll spend 30 or 60 minutes while I'm having coffee and breakfast or whatever, and I, within Feedly, you know, I can prioritize. I've basically got some A-list folders that I try to read every day. Mm-hmm. And then I've got some B-list set that I'll I have extra time. I'll get to those. And then I have everything else. Maybe I get to the, to those on the weekend. Maybe I don't. I don't, I'm not worried about those. Those are just kind of extras. And so that gives me control over, you know, 95, 98% of the stuff that I'm consuming. And then within Feedly. So for example, as I'm reading, if I see something that I want to put in my newsletter on Friday, uh, there's a Feedly has something called boards. So which is like bookmarks. Yeah. And so I can, I have a newsletter board and I just, okay, this is good. I want to consider putting this in my Friday newsletter. So everything is there. You know, I've got other categories to save other things. Uh, I use some, some other bookmarking things. So I do some workshops and things like that. And I'll want to share a set of resources with people, you know, sort of publicly. I've used Digo in the past a lot for that, where I'll put one link, you get all the whole set of things that go with a particular workshop. Uh, A new one that I've started using lately for workshops and talks is one called Bubble Up, which is really slick. So it lets me putting that in tech nuggets. (laughs) (laughs) It's really nice. It it lets you make web pages out of what you save. So it's, it's visual. It's a nice, uh, it's really slick. Um, So you can, you can save files, links, you can put notes in there. It's probably one of the best things that I have found for sharing resources with, with, uh, with people that way. Uh, So that's really nice. So Feedly is really the foundation and then I filter things through that. Um, the other thing I think I follow Harold Jarkey. I don't know if you've read any of his stuff, but he's got this sort of working smarter through personal knowledge management. He's got an approach. He calls it seek, sense, share. 
and he talks about some of this stuff. And so that was, I've probably been following him for, you know, 10 or so years. And so that's kind of where a lot of the ideas, the seeds of those ideas came from. Hmm. And I think the other piece that's really important is, is the, the piece on the end, the share part. I think people have a, a perception of, oh, you know, I'm not a genius or I'm not super smart, so I have nothing to share. And really, there's as much, I think, benefit of sharing what you learn. And if you if you're learning something, you know, this is this is something that took me a little bit to kind of figure out, like if I learn something that's helpful to me, it's probably also helpful to other people. So as long as you're still learning new things, you always have things that are worth sharing. And so I think, you know, if people can kind of get over that. You know, I'm not anybody who's worthy of sharing. There's a lot of value in that that comes back to yourself that I think a lot of people miss. So, so I think most people have an opportunity in that sense. Yeah, Mindy used to uh, share this this video by Derek Derek Sivers. Is it? It's uh, obvious yeah. to you, amazing to others, and you know it's just that whole idea about just because yeah you know this and you've maybe known this for a while doesn't mean that other people aren't going to benefit from it and, and get something out of it so it's about encouraging that that mindset almost of sharing i think yeah absolutely and there's always somebody on a similar path who maybe not as far far along and and um, you know it's so it's so easy to share things right like if it's linkedin or twitter whatever it is if you're you know, even inside your school or the organization, if you've got teams or whatever, it is, it's so easy to do that. You know, it takes you a second or two. And, um, you know, there's really I don't think there's any reason not to share. So because everybody everybody benefits from 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 that sort of mindset, I think. Yeah. And I mean, people probably talk to I mean, you'll you'll admit this, I'm sure. But when people talk to you or me or Mindy, they think they think that we know everything. But, you know, it's just <laughs> such a digital fire hose of information out there. It's like we know some stuff and we catch some stuff that comes across our radar and we'll pass it on and share it. But it's not because we have an answer for absolutely everything. It's just because we we see some things and we think, oh, this could be useful. And we, we pass it on to others. Or we Google really well. <laughs> Exactly. Or, I'm really good at Googling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I saw that was one of your recent episodes. That was back when I did my first newsletter ever. My very first two newsletters were, were Google searching, you know, volume one and volume two, kind of like your podcast. So uh, it's one of those things that's like kind of hidden in plain sight. There's, there's some little things that you can do that make a huge improvement. But um, I, I think the other piece too is, is, is following people. So smart people, right? So, you know, I discovered Jonathan, so okay, I'm going to follow what he's doing. Right. And so if I have a question, (laughs) if I have a question (laughs) that I can't, that I can't answer, if it's in sort of this, my part of the world, the odds are that I may know one or two people that I don't know the answer, but I know where to go to ask it, which is also a valuable thing. So if Google doesn't work, then you have these people to to call upon. Yeah, and I, th- I think we we say that to teachers as well. I mean, I think probably Mindy and I, when we first started in the classroom, you you feel the pressure that you need to know everything. You are the fountain mm-hmm. of all knowledge, and if the students ask you a question, you need to know. But I think now we have to admit that it's fine not to know the answer to everything and just say, okay, hey, that's a great question. Let's investigate that. Let's find out or let's see where we could find the answer to that. I, I think that's super, super important, um, especially even given the, the context of our, you know, the country, right? I, I, I've seen people sort of making fun of the new spokesperson about her circling back. I don't think that's a flaw. I think that's a bonus, right? I don't know. I'll find out and circle back. Like, that's a, a good thing. So you mentioned uh, Feedly and, and Bubble Up. Are there other, other tools that you're kind of excited about right now in the, the learning design space? Well, not necessarily learning and design space, but I think this um, this whole movement that started coming up around no code tools. So um, being able to kind of create your own ecosystem of tools. So things tools like Zapier, um, IFTT, Microsoft Flow, which is now what Power Automate, whatever they've renamed it to, like the ability to hey, I'm using you know, Airtable over here for data, and I'm going to send it out via connected to other tools. So 
Um, Glide app is a really great example of that. If yeah. you've seen Glide app where you can build apps out of Google Sheets, right? Like brilliant, brilliant stuff that anybody can do, right? It, it's sort of democratizing the, what we can do with, with software where you don't have to be a coder. And so really excited about, you know, how things are connecting and how we can use that and form sort of our you know ecosystems of tools as opposed to I've got to buy some big expensive platform to do things. Yeah, I think I think one of the things I like about those kind of tools is that although they are no code type of tools, you still almost need like a you need a bit of a, a programmer's mindset, like a coder's mindset to to try and work through some of these things. So if we're thinking about getting kids interested into that kind of thing at school, these could be kind of good gateway things because then you can, when you're learning the coding, you can relate it, relate it back to your IFTT recipes or whatever they're um, called now and say, hey, remember when you said if this happens and that happens? Well, that, this is what that looks like in, in code when you do actually migrate towards that. Yeah, and it's, it's you know, like I mentioned before, it's it's a mindset, right? Like once you have that perspective of looking at things that way, then just let this whole new world of, of possibilities open up. And, you know, that's the other thing. That's why kids are so great, you know, when it comes to this. They're not afraid of breaking stuff. They're not afraid of that. Like they just dive in. And I think there's a, there's a lot of adults that could sort of benefit from, well, let's just dive in and see what happens, right? Like you don't have to have all the answers. It's impossible to have all the answers before you get into it sometimes. So uh, I think there's a lot of benefit to that just be curious and experiment and, and try new things and, and recognize, you know, some things may fail and that's okay. So Mike, I've a couple of times heard you reference different Microsoft tools. One of them, um, I, I know you slipped in teams. I did hear you say that. And then also the no code, what was it flow? Microsoft flow. Is that what you said? That was uh, I think it used to be called flow. See, Microsoft's yeah. terrible with the way they name stuff and change oh. names all the time. Um, but I think now they call it power automate. So it says um, here in the notes that you're a big PowerPoint guy, which I did not know. How? So what's that mean? What's it mean to be a big PowerPoint guy? What does that mean? I, <laughs> I love PowerPoint. So PowerPoint, obviously sort of a lot of training and, and presentations and stuff, you know, involves slides and PowerPoint. But I use it to create videos and I use it for a lot of graphic design things. Um, it's just, it's really a pretty robust digital tool. So anything you're creating like images, photo editing, even some, it's kind of Photoshop light ish. There's way more potential and things you can do in PowerPoint than most people realize. Um, even, even print documents, right? I've done, I've designed everything in PowerPoint from coffee mugs to t-shirts to folders and banners like it's just it's um if i could figure out a way to just work in powerpoint all day every day like i'd be in my happy place <laughs> yeah I, I think you like powerpoint the same way a lot of our teachers like uh, google slides because it's one of those tools that are they're like it's really flexible and and super uh, easy to to make all kinds of different things with it whether you're making like i don't know ebooks or posters or flyers or graphics like you said it's you know just uh lots of great things in there it's just kind of limited by your your imagination yeah it is and, it, and it, it's another thing right like if you just take a different perspective right if you get beyond hey i open up this template and it gives me a box to type text like if that's your perspective then you're never going to be very good at it but if you if you look beyond the defaults, and that's a huge thing, is is you know just go one step beyond the default to to do something new, do something differently. So over time, if you just keep going one step beyond the default, right? Like you're pushing your 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 possibilities, you're pushing what you're doing, and it's not like you wake up one day and there's this big revelation and you go from sort of novice to expert. You know, it's really just do small things consistently. There's a uh, there's a really great Ira Glass interview, and he talks about anybody who gets into a creative field. He says you get into that creative field because you have really great taste and you know what you like. But when you're starting out, you can't make that stuff to match your taste. And what you have to do is you just have to do a lot of work to close that gap. And it's mm. you know it's something I listen to about every six months just to remind myself like. Mm. 
if Ira Glass had trouble, then, you know, we're pro rest of us are probably okay. I like that. It's like a, it's a good way of like centering yourself a little bit again, refocusing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of my, one of my favorite things is, is, you know, going back and listening to that clip from time to time. All right. Well, Mike, thank you very much for your time today. It was uh, great to talk to you and pick your brain on a few things. If people were were looking for your stuff online or want to sign up for this amazing newsletter that fills up my inbox, um, but in, in, in a good way, I'm going to say that in a good way because you know sometimes it does take me two or three days to go through that newsletter and, and find all the nuggets and things that I need to save and keep in my system. But yeah, where can people find your stuff and, uh, and see what you're doing? Yeah, um, pretty easy to find online. So my website is mike-taylor.org. Um, pretty active on Twitter at tmiket and uh, LinkedIn and all the other usual places as well. So pretty, pretty easy to find, I think. All right. Thanks again for your time, Mike. Appreciate it. Thanks. It's nice to talk to you guys. All right. Up next, Tech Nuggets. Tech Nuggets. You know, we talked to Mike. We tried to yeah. pers- persuade him to stay on a little bit longer <laughs> and just know. do the Tech Nuggets for us. Yeah. But no. And you just to, subscribe to the newsletter, apparently. Yeah, you're going to have to get the newsletter to get all those nuggets. Yeah. All the nuggets. Why don't you Jeez. go first, Mindy? Okay. Um, well, my first one is a shameless plug because those are my favorite kind. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So Gina Rogers and I have um, recently been looking at the thinking routines from Project Zero, which I think I've mentioned as a tech nugget before. Um, and so Project Zero has a bunch of thinking routines that um, are ho- hopefully moving students towards more independent um, strategies to become more self-reliant learners. And so we have been looking at some of those thinking routines and adding a hybrid or remote learning kind of component to it because the thinking routines are fantastic. They can be kind of challenging to do, I think, um, outside of a face-to-face learning environment. So we have been thinking through what that might look like in, um, other types of learning environments and adding digital tools to those thinking routines um, and creating templates that you could use in your classroom with a little bit of tweaking. Uh, So I'll share that link. The first one that we did was take note. And it is, I think, actually kind of an important thing because I have one past student in mind that I'm still in contact with who um, finds it very challenging to take notes within a class setting. So she really needs to sit and focus on what the teacher is saying as opposed to writing down notes. And I know that it can be challenging to take notes during um, a discussion or a lecture or something like that because you're so involved in writing down what you think might be key components of the lecture or the discussion when in fact at the end of a discussion or a lecture is when you really recognize what the key points of that were. So it's really about students taking the time to sit and be in the moment of the learning and then having a routine at the end of the learning to then take the time to go through and write down the key components of that lecture or discussion or the learning or the video or whatever. Um, so I think it's, first of all, a really great routine to get into. And then um, we added, like I said, a extra component on top of it. And I think Mike talked about this too, is like, when do we use asynchronous and when do we use synchronous? And so Um, a lot of times the learning can be asynchronous and I can do that on my own, but it's really important, I think, too, to come back synchronously and do some of that learning together and discuss and, um, do some, you know, cooperative learning or sharing. So, um, yeah, so we'll share the link to that blog post there and it might be something that you want to take a look at. And there'll be more. I think we're doing, I think we're doing six total, if I remember correctly. So we're just going to do one every Monday. So, um, make sure you check back on the DLG WAA blog and there'll be some more of those ideas as we move forward through into March. 
Yeah, and I I really appreciate that one because I think it speaks a little bit to my brain and how my brain works best. Because mm. I think back to when I used to when I when I went to conferences. Remember when we used to go to conferences? No, I don't. No. I remember when we used to go to Disney. Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> when we had these great um, like keynote speakers, I, I yeah. used to just like write down all of the sound bites and I'd be tweeting stuff out yeah. and I'd be taking lots yeah. of notes and then I'd. I look back and I think, wait, what did? Remember what any was of that this. about? And then it's like, yeah. so I I grew towards the the state where I just listened and I absorbed, and yeah. then later I would process and I would think back. Yeah. And often it was like talking to you guys in the right. team later. It's like, do you remember when yeah. you said that? And it's like that made me think of this, and you know that kind of after thought process is was mm-hmm. really helpful for me. Yeah. Well, and I, um, it makes me think too of, I had um, actually two great, what I would consider social studies teachers when I was in high school who were just storytellers. And so um, I feel like if I would have just sat and listened to the story as opposed to trying to write down like the key components of this, you know, oh, the battle and of the whatever. And yes. Events. And trying yeah. to outline what was being said. If I would have just sat and listened and then been given time at the end of that class period to be like, okay, now I want you to sit and outline and remember and recall what that story was about, what sticks out to you. Um, I think I probably would have really retained more of that as opposed to leaving class and being like, I kind of, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't really know. I don't, I don't remember how, what was in the middle of that story or so. Or maybe it's know, thinking it, about ways that we can support students by – I know, maybe giving them a graphic organizer afterwards right. that had maybe mm-hmm. some key points on there. And it's like, why is this important? And then, right. you know, they're going back mm-hmm. and they're processing and relating their understanding there. So I like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good stuff, Mindy. You do yeah, well. um, amazing blog posts for sure. Um, my next tech nugget comes from a webinar I went to recently with Jennifer oh. Gonzalez. Oh, so yeah. Uh, Heartland had her, um, yeah. There as a guest speaker recently, so mm-hmm. I attended that webinar. And one of the tools that she mentioned, it wasn't really a tools webinar, but one of the things she mentioned was uh, a tool called Floop, mm-hmm. which I presume is a combination of feedback and loop together because this is a feedback oh. tool. So Floop. Oh. Okay. Um, it was co-founded by Melanie King, who is a high school uh, STEM teacher. So that's okay. one of the reasons I'm going to drop it on you today, because I think these tools that come specifically from teachers are going to be good ones. You know, she's yeah. she talks about how the the feedback research um, when you watch some of the videos for this. So um, it's all research based uh, tool. It lets you collect images, PDFs, and Google Docs from students, and you can leave text mm-hmm. and audio comments. Um, to help start a conversation around it because her mm-hmm. her driving force when she set this up was that when you give feedback to students, it usually just ends up in the recycling or somewhere right. and they just right. don't look at it. So right. um, they, she does some, some clever things in there like they will hide the feedback in there with like almost like a, a thing link kind of hotspot. It oh, kind yeah. of a, is a similar color to the background. You have to go hunting for the feedback a little bit, oh. and then you click on it, and then it shows you the text or the audio or, oh. or something as a feedback. Scavenger hunt um, feedback. Almost like a scavenger hunt yeah. feedback, yes. Uh, students can take a picture of their work and submit it via the Floop app. Okay. Um, it also lets you do anonymous peer reviews. So you can assign mm-hmm. students work from other students and let them, you know, give some feedback to others on it, which I thought was interesting too. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, it's not 100% free, but I wanted just to throw it in there because I think it's an interesting yeah. tool. It is free for 10 assignments. Um, you can okay. try it out. Otherwise, I think it's like $7 a month. I did read something in the FEQ that said, hey, what if I can't afford the, the $7 a month? They said, "Yeah, let us know. We'll work out a way for you to get Aww. it. And I'm like, oh, well, that's, that's nice, isn't it? Yeah, right. So, fluke. Okay. That was one I haven't heard of before. All right. So, my next tech nugget is, of course, from Eric Kurtz because – He's my go-to if I can't find any tech nuggets. And I went on the Twitters, and he was like the second tweet on there. And I was like, oh, look at this. Thank you, Eric Kurtz. So um, he shared this tool called Math Solver, and it is from Microsoft. Um, So from 
my playing with it, it has a math calculator. So you type in a math problem and it will solve it for you, yes, but it also gives you tutorials of how to solve that math problem. What? I have, what are you I looking have at me no like idea what I'm looking at here, so I'm, oh, yeah. I'm ready for this explanation. Oh, you are? Okay. So if I, like, if you type, so click on the X, Wiley, X. and then click on the squared button right next to it. Yeah. Do you not see your X? So if I want to solve for X squared, I can do like X squared plus 36 equals 52. It will solve that for me because if I do the math in my head, am I close? Is it like X should be four? Somewhere in there, right? So it'll solve it for me, but it will also get give me the step-by-step explanation of how to solve that problem. And it'll give you like resources and like a video and – um. Yeah, so I thought it was kind of a nice thing, especially maybe if, even for parents if, you know, they're helping with math homework and they're like, I really have no idea how to solve this. It hopefully will also give them some explanation or some directions of how to solve a problem that kind of fits in that same genre of problems. It's kind of neat, isn't it? I, I, I think it's very neat. I, I don't think my math skills are good enough to be able to use it, but I think this is absolutely the kind of thing that um, would be very useful, like you said, for parents um, yeah. too. The other thing that I, I know that does something like this is um, the Wolfram Alpha search engine. Have you ever oh. been there? It's like no. a math science-y type thing, and it, it will solve problems in a similar kind of way. But yeah, yeah this is... Uh, it's good stuff, Mindy. Yeah, so like there's different. So there's pre-algebra, algebra, trigonometry, and calculus. I did never get to that point in my life where I was hitting trigonometry or calculus, but I didn't. There's an algebra calculator. So this, all of the um, signs that you would use in algebra are there. Same thing for trigonometry, calculus, and a matrix calculator. I don't know what that is, but it's there. So if you know what it is, then you'll be like, oh, it has a matrix calculator. For the rest of us who have no idea, there's a matrix calculator. I don't know. So yeah, definitely worth looking at. This one's going in my Deagle. It's, oh, it's wow. There. Okay. Thank there you. you Oh, it's like a and probably a month, a month or six weeks from now, I'm going to say, "Hey, Mindy, my tech nugget is math's over." Yeah, and I'll be like, <laughs> "Wiley, I already shared that with you. That's my tech nugget." So, math's over came by um, Eric Kurtz, correct? Yes. That guy gives a lot of uh, great uh, information resources. We should really have him on the podcast sometime, Mindy. We should sometime very soon. Yeah. Well, mm. we'll just uh, trail that one and, and leave that one hanging for a little <laughs> okay. bit on there too. But next, uh, next few episodes, yeah, I've been I've been guest yeah. episodes. So this is a yeah. guest episode. I think our next two we have planned mm-hmm. are also guest episodes. Yeah. So you've That'll got those yeah. to look forward to. All right, so I'm going right. to finish with something fun, or what I okay. thought was kind of fun, I guess. Okay. Um, at uh, FETC, I, at the TechShare Live, uh, they had um, Leslie Fisher and Hal Davidson and um, Adam Bellow, and they were all sharing some different tech nuggets. I think this one came from Hal Davidson, and okay. it is Hubs by Mozilla. Okay. Uh, Mozilla, the people who make Firefox. Mm-hmm. And it is a way that you can share a virtual room with friends and you have these virtual avatars in this 3D space where you all just get to come and hang out and you can talk to each other. You give it permission to use your microphone and you're in a virtual space as a virtual avatar and uh, you can put 3D objects in there. You can um, play with some images or pictures and you can just walk around and talk to each other in a, in a socially distanced uh, VR space. So It's like Roblox for adults. It is like Roblox for adults. <laughs> yes, I showed it to my kids and they were like, oh, this is like Roblox, except there's no game here. And I'm like, well, yeah, it's just the actual space part. You just come but, in and sit around the fire. Yeah. Yeah. But when my kids play Roblox now, they, they're like FaceTiming their cousin or, or their yeah. friends at the same right. time. And they're talking and they're going around this place yeah. or they're, you know, they're role playing and stuff like that. And so mm-hmm. it's, it is exactly that. It is Roblox for adults. So it's Hubs by Mozilla. It's completely Hubs free. Hubs by Mozilla. Interesting. Good one. All right. So I think that's everything for this week. Yes? I think so. 
That's everything we have for you today. If you are looking for show notes for the podcast, they are on dlgwaa.org forward slash podcast. Yep. I am at Jonathan Wiley on Twitter. Mindy's at Team Carney. Not on Twitter. I mean, I am, but don't tweet me. She's only on when she's looking for tech nuggets. So if you know our recording schedule, you'll probably find her about that time. (laughs) (laughs) Send me an email instead. Actually, don't send me an email either. (laughs) Send your stuff to Wiley and he'll forward it to me if it's for me. My secretary. (laughs) Email is podcast at gwaa.org. Otherwise, until next time. This has been the EdTech Takeout. We hope it hit the spot. For more information on today's episode, please visit dlgwaea.org slash podcast.